Welcome to Hope Stream, a podcast for moms and dads who have kids with substance use disorder or who are in treatment or early recovery. I'm Brenda Zane, fellow mom to a child who battled an addiction to drugs and who almost died from multiple fentanyl overdoses. So I see you and I feel your pain, and I created this space for people just like us. Hopestream is a space where we focus on you, your health, sanity, and well-being, and I also bring expert resources to help you navigate this scary and confusing world of teen and young adult substance use. This is where you'll find your tribe, and I'm really glad to have you with me. So let's get into today's episode. Welcome. This is going to be a great episode for you to listen to. I recorded this with a very, very dear friend of mine from college. And when I was thinking about doing a sibling series, she came to mind not only because she is the sibling of a uh, to a brother who struggled with addiction, but she's also one of these magical people who is incredibly grounded, incredibly good at self-care and in helping other people realize the need for their own self-care. And she just brings a lot of peace and sanity into my life. And so I wanted to have her on to share with you what it's like to be a sibling in a, in a relationship so that if you are a parent listening, you might be able to better understand what might be going on with your other kids. And then also to give just some really fun, beautiful advice about taking care of ourselves and why that's so important. And this magical person that I'm talking about is Tina Jays. She is, in addition to just being a great friend and an amazing mother and wife, she is the owner of Inspired Beauty Skincare. It's a skincare studio in Studio City, California, right in the middle of Hollywood. And in addition to her aesthetic license, she has a degree in psychology and is a certified massage technician. She's also certified in manual lymph drainage, and she's trained in facial reflexology through the AIRFI in Milan, Italy. So this lady knows her stuff when it comes to not only facial and external beauty, but internal beauty as well, and what it takes to really maintain ourselves as a whole person. So I'm excited for you to listen in and would love to introduce you now to my very, very good friend, Tina Jays. Tina, welcome to the show. It is so fun and nice to have a good friend on the show. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And at the time that we're recording this, I should just let people know we're in the middle of the coronavirus kind of lockdown. So both Tina and I um, are kind of self-quarantined and uh, it's it's strange times, but I'm excited to have this conversation. It's kind of a um, a little bit of a distraction from what's going on. And I think there's some really great information that's going to help people out there. So um, I would love to start out with just a fun question, and I think I already know the answer to this, but I like to start out with a fun question, which is, what did you have for breakfast this morning? This morning, I had my green smoothie that I almost always have. What's in your green smoothie? Spinach, bananas, strawberries, blueberries, maca powder, and some almonds. Wow. What does maca powder do? Um, it's an adaptogen. It's a Peruvian superfood, but it's a hormone balancer. And I've added it to my smoothie probably the last 10 years. And I didn't have like the hormonal swings of PMS. And I'm hoping it takes me gracefully into menopause. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That this is such a good tip. I will put this in the show notes so that people can find it. I don't think people know about maca powder. Everyone needs some maca root, or every I should say, every female needs some maca root powder in her life. Yeah, sounds like it. So you've been having grain smoothies for breakfast for over ten years. Um. Yes. Since my daughter was in high school. I did not know that. This is yes. see, this is news. <laughs> you can always find out new things about your friends. 
You can, you can. Well, I, I'm so excited to have you on today because um, I have been sort of thinking in my mind that I wanted to do a sibling series because I think siblings of people who are um, in addiction are are kind of entirely forgotten in the conversation. It's there's a lot of talk about parents. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about the the person who's struggling, but I think the siblings in a family are ones that sort of kind of get swept under the rug and um so I wanted to do that and at the same time I wanted to do kind of a series or continue to weave into the podcast series self-care for moms in particular but also dads um, of ways that you can stay sane while you are going through this sort of insanity with somebody in your family um, who's in addiction. And so when I was thinking about those two things, you came to mind because I know that you kind of fit both of those descriptions. So I think it'll be really interesting. And I'm thinking maybe we can just start out with you giving us an idea of kind of your family and, and background and sort of the story around why, um, why you kind of fit that sibling bill? Um, well, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in the 60s, and I'm the youngest of five with a single mom who's always been a single mom, which is a lot more common now. And there's a lot more opportunities, I think, for women to make a living. It was pretty difficult then. And, you know, we were very um, low income, we were very unsupervised, and she was also um, a raging alcoholic, so it was a lot. (laughs) uh, I had, you know, I have three older sisters and an older brother, and none of us had any coping skills. We just dealt with every day as it came. So. you know, looking back now, being a parent, knowing what I know, it's no surprise that my brother, you know, found a way to fit in the world. You know, it's pretty difficult for a a boy to be raised by a mother, four sisters, and not have any male input. And so I feel like he, you know, he always played sports. He tried to do whatever he could to stay in that male energy. And, you know, Uh, drinking comes with that drugs comes with that. And, you know, that was kind of his outlet. Did you know that your mom, like just in thinking if when you grow up with something, that's kind of your normal, right? You don't know, like you don't spend time living in other people's lives. Did you know when you were younger that your mom was an alcoholic or how did you think about that as you started to sort of maybe get into your middle school years and things? Um, I didn't know she was an alcoholic. I just knew it was really scary to come home and you never knew what you were coming home to. And I thought everyone kind of had, I, you know, like you said, you only know what you are experiencing. So I just thought that everyone was like afraid to walk in the door. (laughs) Um, and then it was like in middle school when I started smoking pot myself that I realized, Oh, this is what people do to escape. And then it all, you know, then you sneak her vodka because, Hey, look, there's free vodka. So that's when I realized. And what was the age difference between you and your brother? My brother was three years older than I am. Okay. So pretty close. It's not like you guys were 10 years apart. No, there's 10 years between the oldest sister and myself. Right. When did you notice that he was starting to, to, you know, use substances? Was it something that was sort of low key or were you pretty aware right away? Like, wow, something's going on. Um, no, it was pretty obvious. I mean, he always had a pot filled room, you know, always had beer in his room and he was in high school. So I was in middle school, but he was also really good looking, really popular, really charismatic. So it just kind of went with his image. So it wasn't anything that we frowned upon. If anything, it was kind of, we looked up to him because he was so cool. Mm. So he was the, he was the guy, like he was the cool guy, the fun guy. Right. Wow. When did you 
start to notice that maybe it was it was impacting him in negative ways versus being kind of the fun, cool guy? There were definitely visits from the police, which is really scary when you're, you know, also it wasn't a family that talked about anything. So maybe you come home, the police are in the living room, my mom's crying, my brother has a black eye, and we're just like told to go to our room. And then no one ever talks about it again. So there were definitely red flags, but no one is explaining it to you. And you don't go to school and tell your friends because it's all just, you know that it's a secret, but you don't know what the secret is. (laughs) Yeah, that has to be kind of mind bending if you're living that day to day You've got your mom on the one hand who's not fully present, maybe, and then you've got your your cool older brother who you're starting to get really worried about, and you and no one's talking. Right. Yeah, I think one of the you know most important things, and I know you've covered this in some other podcasts, is you have to talk about these things as much as you can, whether it's to a therapist, whether it's to each other. I mean. I think when you carry this stuff around, it just is a big, heavy burden and you don't even know what it is, but I would, you know, if it was happening to my family now, I think I would hope to talk to my younger, you know, the siblings and give them some information and give them some coping tools. Cause I think that would have been really helpful instead of acting like nothing was happening. Right. I wonder if your mom was would have been able to do that given her own kind of struggle at the time. Um, do you think that she was intentionally not sharing with you and your sisters or was it just sort of a jumble? No, I think she just didn't have the skills and she was probably wasted half the time anyway. So, which was, you know, it all becomes a vicious circle. So things would be terrible. She would drink more. It would be worse. It's that cycle. Yes. Yeah. And therapy wasn't, at that time, uh, it wasn't as sort of, I won't say commonplace, but I think people today have a less of a problem saying, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a therapist or my child is going to get some help and some counseling because what, you know, we're, we're talking about the... Uh, let's see, what years would this have been? Kind like of the early seventies. Early seventies, yeah, yeah. Yes. Definitely 80s. not. Yeah, it, it's not now. I mean, now it, there's a lot more research sources, and people are still hesitant to call on them. Right, there's still a certain amount of stigma around. Well, why do you need that? Right, right. What do you think um, now, sort of looking back on so many years? How do you think your your mom and your brother's use shaped you and and where you are today? I think it made me afraid of a lot of things. I mean, I definitely tried things, but I think by the time I was seventeen, I was like done. <laughs> you know, like I didn't have a big drinking problem in college. I didn't have you know. I don't, um, I think we like ramped up the acceleration because there were so many things available to me and it was kind of a wild time in the eighties, I think for, you know, most kids who weren't supervised and now I think that, I mean, it definitely impacted how I parented, you know, I, talked with my kids a lot about drinking and alcohol. I told them about my, you know, family history, how, what I, I believe it's genetic, you know, that if you have the addiction gene in your family, you need to be really careful. Um, not that that's always helpful, but if you know that, that, you know, I think more information is helpful than you find yourself drinking and drinking and drinking and knowing that you're susceptible to alcoholism, it could deter you. Yeah. And did you, so you, you told your 
kids. I know you have you two grown kids now, but you when did you start talking to them? I think that's one thing that parents have a hard time with is at what age, you know, like what age is it appropriate to start talking to my kids? Because there's a fear of, well, if I talk about it, then they're going to go do it because it's going to make them curious. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my brother um, OD'd and died uh, in 2000. And my kids were still, you know, pretty young at the time, five and three. But my daughter was definitely aware, you know, because then all of a sudden the house is filled with sadness. Right. And her uncle's gone. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, to this day, my mom still has a drinking problem. So I've kept my kids away from them. And, but even before I could tell them why, they were always really uncomfortable around her because it makes, you know, it's, it's, it's not always, um, it, it feels very unsafe. She feels like a very unsafe person and they're blessed to have good instincts. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I think it's, I think, you know, and I've, we've been friends for a long time. And so I've sort of watched as you've interacted with your kids and talked to them. And I, I do think, for parents who might be out there thinking, oh, you know, when when do I have this conversation? Um, should I even have the conversation? Is it going to sound like I'm, you know, endorsing them drinking? I think you have done such a really good job of navigating that in a really, just a really realistic way. And And sometimes parents, I think, might over engineer the conversation where it can be pretty casual. And, it, and if you just work that into the you know, to the dialogue so that it isn't this like once a year, we're going to have this talk about alcohol <laughs> or drugs. Um, it's, it can normalize it in a good way, not normalize it in a way like, oh, this is what we do, but normalize it in a way that, oh, this is a conversation I can have. Cause I know your kids have, they talk to you and ask you questions. And right. And I think also, to- I mean, now so much is available to them on their phones, you know, in their social groups, they don't even need to ask us. <laughs> they can find out everything now. And, um, you know, it's definitely, God, it's uh, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and that's the other thing for parents to remember is that they have no control over, you know, what's out there, what's being said on social media. They don't have control over what they're seeing you know, on YouTube, but they do have control of what they're saying in their own home, right? And they have control of that conversation. I'm wondering if your mom had been able to be there for you at that time when you're when you started noticing that your your brother was getting in trouble um, with his use. What do you think would have been useful for her to say to you? Um, I think it would have been useful just to acknowledge what was happening. You know, I think this um, secrecy, it gives everyone this big burden they have to carry besides what's going on in front of them. You just, you need to be open. You need to, you know, she's a, she's a very unskilled parent and that's a completely different topic. Um, so, you know, I think we can all go back and reimagine things, how they would be and you know, that none of that's ever going to (laughs) happen. But I think that you just, you don't want to guard, you don't want to make people guard these secrets because chances are everyone has something like it. You know, it's, it's an epidemic. So being open to it and allowing conversation and explaining things, you know, because little kids, you think it's your fault. You think it's something you said. You feel like you're responsible for so much more than you obviously are, especially when you're young. And it's just really important to talk to, you know, obviously if there's a, there's so many things that lead up to the problem that, you know, if everyone was having this open dialogue, you know, <laughs> you probably wouldn't be in this situation. And I think that's, for parents to realize that kids, regardless, you know, maybe they're in, you know, late elementary school, middle school is such a hard time for, for 
you know, those tweens and teens. And then if you add an extra burden of this big secret that we're not going to talk about to their backs, it's, it's just a double blow because life is so hard at that age anyway with hormones and, you know, starting different schools and friends um, that, that just having a conversation and not, not having to solve it, you know, not having to say, this is what's going on and this is how I'm solving it. Because as we both know, it, it can be a very long road with lots of starts and stops and successes and setbacks. And for, for a parent to be able to say to the sibling, this is what's going on. Here are some things that we're thinking about. Not necessarily this is what we're going to do to solve it can just be a way to acknowledge the the issue and and give you give that other child a chance to ask questions, right? Just to open that door for questions. Right. Because there gotta be so many questions when you're young and you see, especially for you and your older brother who's, you know, super cool and super fun. I bet you had a lot of questions about like what's going on. Right. And you know, I think it's pretty um natural for kids to take a side. So it's like the kids versus the parents where it was, you know, the kids versus the mom in our situation. And my other, you know, there was only one other sister living at home with us at the time. And you know, the three of us would definitely hole up in a room and try to figure out what is going on. And he would have a really like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, and then we would play sides and it would be about, you know, keeping my mom out and it just become, you know, there's, it's just such a puzzle. It just, yeah, it creates such a divide. Mm -hmm. And if no one's the grown up and no one's acting rationally and there's no supervision, it's not ideal. <laughs> no, no. And, and you, you know, you did obviously ended up very well and, and you're healthy, but I know you also went through a little period of like, huh, you know, trying some of these things. And do you think your mom recognized that or what do you think was going on when, when you started sort of experimenting? Um, I think she may have noticed, I mean, if, it, it was so typical 80s, like I cut my hair and I dyed it. And, you know, just like those outward signs that show that you've, like I've gone from like a square straight A student to I'm doing some other things now. Um, but I was never, I'm, I'm still not to this day. I'm pretty measured. I'm, I was never drastic. You know, I never, um, I mean, definitely did some things I shouldn't have done, wished I hadn't done, put myself in some dangerous situations. But I know that, you know, I always feel super protected and I, I'm still here. (laughs) You are, you are. And you said, you know, that your brother did not make it, um, which is so tragic. What, um, what was his path? Did he go to rehab or what, what happened with him? No, that was never available. I mean, you know, I don't, we grew up just so poor that there was, you know, sometimes food on the table. So rehab was out of the question. And I don't even know that there was a path to rehab unless you were like a celebrity then where you would have been like a famous baseball player or something. It's not like it is now where everybody knows everything. And, um, but he, you know, he started getting in trouble at school. He, um, you know, the one thing that I think has always been a great deterrent is having your kids involved in things and sports and piano lessons and whatever it is that makes their heart sing, not the thing that makes your heart sing. Like you want them to be a hockey player. You want them to be a baseball player. They have to find their interests, but if they're busy in that and consumed in that, they don't have a lot of free time for other things, but it can't be the only thing that they do, you know, because then if that is not successful, then they don't have any place else to go. So my brother was an amazing baseball player and he crashed his motorcycle, broke his arm, was in a cast for three months. And in that three months, it was like from a hundred to zero, just a crash. 
because one, they gave him so many painkillers. He was 17, totally unsupervised, started selling them. You saw how quick that cash came in and it took him on a completely different journey. And again, this is my viewpoint as a 14 year old. So that's how I remember it, but I'm pretty sure that's how it started. (laughs) Well, that's a recipe for disaster, right? To have a 17 year old with very powerful drugs, with no supervision, with actual pain, I'm sure, you know, at some level from his accident. And that's something that I think parents now are more aware of, you know, with, with the opioid crisis, there's you know, you'd have to kind of be living under a rock not to have been, not to have caught the message that maybe it's not a good idea for, for teenagers to have bottles of, you know, oxycodone in the cupboard. But at that time, there was no right. messaging around that. Right. And then it took away his ability to play baseball. Yeah. And then he, he, his arm never recovered because, you know, I guess then it would have been like Medi-Cal or whatever insurance that you have when you don't make any money. And, you know, maybe they put the cast, but there was no, like, not like now where you have physical therapy and you have like follow-up x-rays and, you know, they gave him his cast, his prescription and sent him on his way. And then he didn't have anything to do. So he lost his love of baseball. And then he just, you know, it really went crazy from there. And then he got into trouble with all kinds of different drugs. And then he fell in with the wrong people and then he started stealing and then he went to jail. And then, I mean, it was just one thing after the other. It is that downward slide that can go so fast that people I think don't realize sometimes that you're not talking about, this doesn't take years to happen. This can happen over the course of months so fast. And the, the collateral damage that goes along with the, the person who is, in this, you know, in this downward slide, it's the ripple effect of all the other people that it impacts, you know, like you and your sisters and your mom, that that people forget, they just kind of see that person, and they don't realize that there's a whole weight tidal wave that kind of goes out from what that person's doing. Right. Well, I am I am so sorry about your brother and um what I guess I'd love to just know what's kind of one of your very favorite memories of him. I think I'll always see him. He had this like a you know, it's so funny, it's so 80s. He had like a mauve polo shirt on with like it was like a little blue polo character. <laughs> and he had his gold chains and his hair was like I mean, he was he was such a handsome guy. And all of my friends were so crazy about him. And he was, you know, like the bad boy. And I'll just always, you know, he had this really sly little smile. And, um, you know, that's just the way I like to remember him. Oh, well, thank you for, for giving us that perspective. It's it's so needed. And it's, I think, one that gets forgotten about. Like I said, that... There are um, there are other little human beings around when there's a, a kid in the household with um, with a problem and it is a heavy burden to bear and so for parents I think it's good for them to hear that that is real and that you know just having a conversation could really help lighten the load a bit. Yeah, I think that I mean especially now there's so much going on. We have we're so busy, we're so overwhelmed. And then you have this big gigantic problem to solve as well. So it's understandable that you forget that the three year young, you know, younger sister is might have had a really shitty day at school. <laughs> and, and, you know, but you you still need to give them that space to come to you and say, you know, my best friend's not talking to me anymore or whatever if you know you guys want to make it through the other side and i know having you know been the parent in a situation like this that is really hard to do sometimes because on the one hand you're wondering you know is my is my um i like to call my problem my special problem <laughs> my special problem child you know are they even going to come home today are they even alive you know are the police going to show up so you've got this like 
kind of weird crisis mode going on in your head. And then you do forget that that other child might be coming home like, yeah, you know, my my best friend's not talking to me or my math teacher said something that kind of, you know, hurt my feelings. Like in perspective, they seem so small compared to the other problems. Right. Absolutely. But they aren't, right? They're not for that for that child. So I think for any parent that that is listening, you know, and I was guilty of this many times, but I really really tried to still make it to all the base or the basketball games and still you know, ask those little questions. Um, and not only did it help my other son, but it also, at times you just need a break from mentally, you just need a break from that problem, you know, special problem child. So it does give you as a parent, like, oh, let's just deal with a normal problem, like a math teacher or, you know, a, a best friend squabble. And there is something um, really nice about that as well. But yeah, the, 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 perspective can seem very odd when you're on the one hand, is my kid going to come home? Is he alive right. versus these other things? So, Absolutely. I don't want, you know, to pile any more on parents going through this because I know it's already so much. Um, but it's just something else to remember. It, it is. And it's, it's, it's reality. I mean, it, it really is something that, um, in the long run, we'll be better off for if we can remember those other kids. And, you know, maybe it's just a matter of, can we create a teeny tiny routine, you know, that once a week we go and we grab a hamburger restaurant together so that we can be away and talk about stuff other than, you know, your sibling who's in trouble. Just those little things that can give a a break and some attention to that other child. So thank you for, for that perspective. And now, you know, you're married, you're the mom of two grown kids who are both awesome. Cause I know them and um, you know, you've done an amazing job with them, especially given where you came from. Um, they're living fantastic lives <laughs> and um, you know, you got your degree in psychology, I believe. Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. I thought so. Um, and then, and you have been an esthetician, a Hollywood esthetician for many years. <laughs> tell me, tell me how that transpired. Well, I, it's funny. I, I'm thinking about what I said before about, I didn't have a drinking problem in college, but I probably did for like the first two years, like regular college drinking. And then part of my psychology courses, you had to start seeing a therapist as part of the degree. And that was so life-changing for me that you could tell somebody something and they just listened to you and they didn't come down on you. They didn't compare it to someone else's pain. Like what you said was valid. That was huge for me, you know, and that was in the nineties. That was a long time ago. So obviously things have changed so much and progressed. Um, But you had never experienced that. Like with your mom, if you came to her with a problem, you didn't, you didn't have that type of, I didn't know you could tell somebody something and, they would listen to you. And, you know, I mean, I went to public school. It was, it was a different time. I mean, it was just like, do your homework. Like no one was talking, no one was asking how you were feeling or, and, you know, I have to say, I recognize in myself, I'm a very sensitive person. I always have been like when I would walk in the house, I knew what kind of mood my mom was in before I even saw her because I could feel it. And that kind of has led me on the path to where I am now. And I'm so grateful for all the things, the path I've taken, because it's made me so much more aware of other people. It makes me a better practitioner. Um, and I love to help people. I love to help people make, I, I love to help people feel better. I can give them tools or suggestions in my own treatments. I know someone always leaves feeling better than they came in. So, you know, as much as it was like, yeah, it wasn't the best growing up that way. I don't think I would be, I know I wouldn't be who I was now. So I'm grateful for it. Yeah. 
And your practice is in Studio City. So Tina is, a, I wasn't kidding when I said she's a Hollywood esthetician. She would never tell you that. <laughs> and she would never tell you all of the very famous people that she works with. But you are right in the middle of, you know, what what I think a lot of people consider la la land, right? Just like everything is so fake and everything is, you know, Hollywood. What is it like to be you, who is somebody who's very grounded, very soulful, um, you know, living this this really real life, working with actors and actresses and all these people kind of in in the midst of what can be considered like a very, very fake world? Um, I think when I first started out, I didn't have a clear intention or idea of what I wanted my business to be. And as I've grown and with more experience, you can really, you really curate the right people coming to you. So, you know, there's definitely like the celebrity estheticians who they're as famous as their clients. That is not the case with me at all. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't have the, I have such real grounded clients who are here, you know, for the same reasons I am to make, to make everyone a little bit better, you know, feel a little bit better when, after you've spent time with them. And, um, you know, I mean, it can be funny living here, but I think it's like anywhere you just have to, you know, you have to decide what kind of life you're going to live and then live that. And do you, I know that you do get very close with some of your clients. Do you have clients that you know are, you know, have a child or somebody that they love close by in, in this battle with addiction? Oh, definitely. I don't think anyone could say they don't know someone or have someone in their circle who's battling some form of something. And and so you're, you know, you are literally hands-on with people all day, um, you know, making right. them feel better. And does that energy, is that hard sometimes um, just because you you are such an energetically aware person? I'm just trying to think of how to say that. Um, <laughs> does, does that transfer to you or? No. And, I, and again, when I first started out, definitely, because you're just kind of open. But I think for me, the key to just maintaining a very even balance, like you have to have your rituals. You know, I wake up, I do my meditation, I do my journaling, I light my candles. I mean, whatever it is that ritual means to you. You know, some people go for a walk, some people pray, some people, you know, listen to a podcast, whatever it is, but you have to set up your day. And it could take five minutes, it could take an hour, but you know, you create your day and you protect yourself and you see what kind of day you're going to have. And, you know, people come in for all kinds of reasons, but I think, you know, it's really important for me to protect myself. They protect themselves. So then you don't get that mashed up energy because that's really easy. You know, that negativity or sadness is really easy to absorb if you're a sensitive, empathic person but you have to be very intentional about it. That's uh, that's so interesting. Just as you were saying that, I was thinking that um, obviously in your role, when you're working with people, you know, you're, you're very hands-on and close. And so I love that idea of having a ritual to sort of start your day and, and set some of that protection. And it just occurred to me that parents could do the same thing because if you've got a child living in the house, who is wrecking havoc and causing all kinds of problems and anxiety and trouble, you know, actual literal trouble, um, that might be a way to, for a parent to at least put up a little bit of a, I don't want to say a wall because we don't want to have a wall, but um, some of those guardrails and boundaries around that energy between the child and themselves. Right. And everyone calls it different things. You know, for me, I always say, I'm going to, encircle you in a bright white light, you know, and, and people that I encounter in the day, the lady who like honks at me in the parking lot, I send her blessings. And I know this can sound really woo woo for people, but it works for me. So like, uh, that's, I'm living my life and this is what I'm choosing to do. Um, 
Yeah. And I, you know, even with my kids, when my daughter calls and she's having a hard day or, you know, something bad's happened at work or something's happened with my son in a safety situation or, you know, all I can do is like bless them, send them protection, send them angels, whatever it is that works, whatever that language is for any of you. Um, because they came here to live their life. I came here to live my life. My clients came here to live their life. and you know, you just have to accompany them. You can't, like, as you know, you can't change anyone. You can wish it would change. You could pray it would change, but you can only like accompany people. People. Yeah, that is, that is so, so true. And I mean, you saw me through the years of our really, really bad times with my son and you saw me sort of wither away and um, get very, very unhealthy. And I think that happens to a lot of moms that, you know, you just put yourself last um, and you, you try to control all the things until you realize that you can't control all of those things. And the one thing that we can control is ourselves and our bodies and our self-care, which I really hate that term self-care. I wish there was a better, I wish there was a better term because it just bugs me. But, um, you know, to, to really stop putting yourself last and, and to do some of these things that you are in control of, because in the end, your, your kid's going to benefit from it, right? Whether it's a kid in addiction, or even if it's just a kid who's got a lot of needs and, and you need to get some separation from. Um, yeah. Right. Right. And I, I mean, I get it. Self-care. It sounds so ridiculous, but it's like they had to create a whole column because people think taking care of yourself is such a privilege or I don't have time to do that. Taking care of yourself. Yeah. You need to take care of yourself. So you function the best you, so you can help all the people around you. I mean, it's so cheesy, but it's like, you can't pour from an empty pitcher. Like it's just that simple. And what would you just, um, and I guess I I should explain. So Tina works as an esthetician. So she's doing lots of hands-on work on facials and muscles and, and all of those things. But you also have just a huge amount of knowledge around kind of natural ways of, you know, taking care of your hair and your skin and your body and your mind and all of those things. And what are some of those things, like if we were to talk about that kind of picture, so right, you can't pour from an empty cup, you need to have a pitcher close by that you can, you know, refill your cup from. What are some of the things that you think are simple, especially for a mom to do, knowing that she's sort of living in the state of panic and crisis and just some really simple, basic things that she could reach to, to, to sort of refill her cup? Well, I think if anything, I mean, now is the best time to be alive because they talk about so many things. We all know about meditation. We know that exercise is good for you. You know, drink lots of water, eat a balanced diet, where those things before seem like things that they did, you know, it's available to all of us. And it doesn't have to take an hour. It isn't about quieting your mind or it's just like taking when I say ritual, I mean, it can be five minutes in the morning, in the afternoon, before you go to bed, just taking those few minutes in the day to gather yourself so you can go into the day. But I think, you know, you do need to eat right. You do need to drink water. You do need to get some endorphins exercising. And there's a million ways you can, you know, people are like, oh, I don't like to run. I don't like, well, there's so many ways you can move your body. Do you like to clean? Do you like to dance? you know, do jumping jacks, whatever it is, just give yourself, give yourself a fraction of the time that you're giving to everybody else, to your job, to your family, to whatever it is, because, you know, that's why you're here. Right. And kids, I think, at least I know in, in my situation, once I started taking care of myself and I started, saying, actually, I'm not going to engage with you in this argument right now because I'm going to go walk the dog. It was kind of startling to my son, like, oh, what? You're doing something for you? And, you know, he has told me now kind of after, you know, now that we're 
through the, the worst of things, you know, he has told me, Hey, that was, that was actually good. Like I liked seeing you do that. And I will also say that for my other son, my younger son, who was two years younger, he benefited tremendously from seeing me do things for myself. And he would actually say, mama, you know, why don't you go see your friends? Mama, why don't you take a bath? You know, all of these things, because he recognized that when my mom does these things, she's actually a lot better. <laughs> and she, you know, absolutely she's not as frantic and she's not as frazzled and, and all of those things. So when you, if you're thinking about, oh, I can't really take the time to do that. You're actually doing a disservice to not only yourself, but to your other kids, to your spouse, to your partner, whoever it is, because you're just, you're robbing them of the best you. Right. And there's that, that famous Dalai Lama quote that he says, people say, you know, they don't have time to meditate for an hour. Well, those people need to meditate for two. Right. Something like that. Right. You know, like you don't think you need that. I promised you, you need twice as much of that. Yes. What are some things just because you, you are such an expert in, in the skin and face. And I know in talking with moms, one of the things that I hear all the time and, and I said frequently is I look in the mirror and I don't even recognize myself. You know, I, I've lost whoever I was. I used to look pretty. I used to, you know, do this or that. And, and you just get to a point where you're so exhausted and so frazzled and scared that you just let yourself go. And what do you think um, if there's a mom listening who's like, you know, I'm going to like, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm taking care of myself. I'm going to do, you know, something every day to take care of myself just because it's rare to get to speak with a, a expert in, in skin. And what would you say to somebody like that? Who's looking at themselves and just being like, who is that person in the mirror? What are, what are some things that we could do that are easy and we don't have to spend $4,000 on products? Right. Well, I can say for one, I mean, watching you live through it and, you know, we had kept in contact by phone, but then to see you in person, I was so shocked you you're already such a tiny petite person and you were an eighth of your size and that was so traumatic and that's so hard on your body so i know it's really hard to eat when you're upset or maybe you go the other way and you eat too much but you're depriving your brain your skin your nails your hair when you're changing that diet that way i mean i think those basic things, your basic needs of food and water. And, you know, that's not the time to drink all the wine or eat all the sugar. And I know those are the coping mechanisms that we found, you know, in our little life here. But I think, you know, I think nutrition and you, you as a nutritionist know more than anyone, um, how important that is, how it feeds your skin and you need live cells in your, in your blood and your skin. So that will help when you walk into the mirror that you don't recognize yourself because you don't look like yourself. Right. And that's something that I think we forget sometimes is, you know, what you put into your body is affecting how your body looks on the outside. So if you're only putting in the wine and the popcorn and the chips and the candy and the, you know, all of those things, yeah, that's not going to bode well on the outside. And, you know, I'm the first to say that I, you know, do not eat a perfect diet, but when I did improve my diet, um, like you said, I was just a wreck. I was just a walking wreck. And when I did start to think more about what I was eating and be better about it, it really, really did make a difference. Yeah, your body just shuts down and the sparkle goes out of your eye and you're not thinking clearly. So you're not taking care of yourself because you really kind of don't care because everything's disappearing in front of you. So I think whatever it is, whether it, I mean, exercise for me, that's my coping. I, I have to exercise every single day, whether it's a hike or a boxing class or spinning or, or like, I love to rage clean. Like if I don't like right now with this lockdown pandemic, you could eat off my wall. Like I am rage cleaning and it is so therapeutic and it's also just like better. 
that your house is clean. <laughs> so it doesn't have to cost anything. You don't like, I get it too. You know, every, every solution is not something you pay for or a class or a cream or, you know, there has to be things that you can create with the resources in front of you. Yeah. And, and that is important. You know, exercise doesn't mean a treadmill. It can be in, in it. I wish we were doing a video podcast so people could see you. If you could see Tina, just knowing that she's strapping on these boxing gloves, <laughs> going out and, and hitting people, it's awesome. But um, it doesn't have to be anything that's treacherous or dreadful. And, you know, if cleaning makes you happy and makes you feel good and gets the sweat going, like go for it, right? Yeah. And I always, you know, I joke about it, but I, I really think the University of YouTube, there is so much streaming now there are so many exercise classes. There's yoga, there's tango, there's Zumba. There's, you know, there's so many free videos available to everyone. And, you know, there aren't many people who don't have access to a computer. Yes. Um, there's very little excuse anymore to not yeah. find something, some way to move your body. And I think that that, you know, it does. It feeds those healthy, healthy endorphins. Sweat is amazing for your skin. You know, it's detoxifying. It's, uh, you, you remove that surface fluid that keeps you looking puffy, especially when you're sad and crying all the time. You look so puffy. Your eyes are, you know, so swollen. Like you got to sweat some of that out, sister. Right. I was going to ask about that because I know um, that we do cry a lot, right? You you spend a lot of nights, a lot of time in the car, you know, yes. just sobbing because it's so hard. And then you do, you end up, I mean, this sounds su superficial and, you know, I, I hope that people recognize that for, especially, and I'm talking to you moms, I know we cry a lot and then you look terrible and then you look bad and then you feel worse. And so it becomes kind of this cycle where you're, you just want to give up because you're like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I just cry all the time. I look like crap. My eyes are puffy. My nose is red. You know, I just look yeah. horrible. And, you know, are, are there any sort of, besides, you know, the sweat and, and that, is there any kind of magic that you have to <laughs> give us that might help in, in that? Well, I think, you know, again, it depends on what your resources are. There's so many, there are so many amazing products out there, which is, you know, one of the reasons I went into the beauty industry because as a, you know, uh, the youngest of four sisters, like we talked about beauty a lot. <laughs> we right. looked at magazines and you dream and look at that amazing lipstick and how do you make that? But again, because of the resources, you know, on your computer, there's so many things you can make at home. You can make an amazing depuffing cucumber mask. You know, you just shred up the cucumber and it's so, I mean, it just whisks it away and it's so lively. It's so fresh and hydrating. You know, you could do a brown sugar and honey scrub all over your face and lips. And I mean, you know, or you could buy really expensive, amazing products. There's right, a lot available. Yeah. Oh, it's overwhelming. And I know one, um, wait, I want to go back to the cucumber mask. Do you just use, cu <laughs> Do you just use cucumber? Well, yeah, you can just like, there's a spa that we go to and they do this amazing body care massage. So like, you know, one, you get this amazing massage, but then she slathers you in honey and there's so many, you know, different types of honey, so many prices available. You can get some at Trader Joe's for really cheap, but really, really high quality. You could do honey and then she shreds up the cucumber and squeezes out most of the water. So then, you know, it, it lays on your face and then she warms up milk and slathers it off. And it is the best thing, that, one of the best things that's ever, I've ever experienced. But there's just so many things you can make up, you know, in your kitchen. And if you just type in like homemade masks, homemade body scrub. I promise you, you have the ingredients in your cupboard. Right. Is there anything that you see maybe that people are talking about in social media or that you might Google that you would recommend against? Because I know I I have the luxury of being able to just text you and say, should I be putting this on my face? And most of the time you're like, no, don't do it. Is there anything in particular that you see that people like tend to do that you would advise against? Well, I think for I think for the most part, and it's definitely 
this generation thinks more is more. And with the skin on your face, that is not the case. <laughs> so they're over exfoliating and over scrubbing and over, you know, it's just, it can be too much, especially, you know, with young skin. Um, but also like if any product, the claims are too good to be true. It's too good to be true. So save your money. Yeah, definitely. And I know one tr uh, trick that you gave me is baking soda. Yes, it's the best. And again, it's not for everybody. Some people think it's too alkaline for the skin, but like anything, you need to rinse it really well, but it's so affordable. I mean, I think you'll have one box for your entire life. You add a little bit to your cleanser. It's an amazing exfoliant. It's antibacterial. It's pH balanced. It's antimicrobial. And it's just a very gentle polish. And it's really good for your, um, you know, the, the lines around your eyes to buff around your mouth. And as we age, you know, in the over 50 category, that's where you start to lose your fat. So that's where it kind of starts to sink in and you want to stimulate the collagen and elastin. So then you get that plumping effect and then you feel better. Right. And not the plumping from tears. <laughs> exactly. You don't want the plumpy eye from puffy crying. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all amazing. Is there a resource that you go to online? Maybe is there a website that you trust the information from that you would recommend? Um, I'll think about that and get back to you. I think that, I think that it's also, you know, I have clients that swear by oil of Olay. I have some clients that will only use my products. I have some clients that swear by you know, La Mer or whatever the most expensive thing on the market is. It's really what you believe and what works for you. Right. Yeah. And you do have to try some different things sometimes and, and just adjust. But I think the, the overall message is um, take care of yourself, right? Whether that's exactly the take the extra $200 cream. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. It is that time to take care of yourself, to recognize that, yes, you might be going through the worst imaginable thing. Um, and, a, and a lot of parents are right now, but taking five or 10 minutes to clean your face, to put on a mask, that's not going to make things worse, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's not going to make it better. It's just going to make you feel better for a minute. And that is right. worth it. All those minutes add up. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll put um, all these sort of interesting tidbits and suggestions in the show notes so that everybody can find them. Um, I would love to ask you in closing, is there anything that you would say as sort of words of wisdom to, you know, the moms like me who have either been through it or are in the middle of it um, that, that you think is important to share? I have to say, just don't be so hard on yourself. I mean, you know, even now my relationship with my mom, it's definitely better. It's not normal, but it's fine. But the minute I walk in a room, she starts crying because she feels so bad because she wishes she had done something different and she wishes she had done more. You're only doing what you know how to do. All of us are only knowing what we know how to do in that moment. So yeah, we don't always make the right decisions. Sometimes we get it really right, but sometimes you just get it wrong, but you just have to forgive yourself and do the best thing you can do now. What's the most important thing you've learned in your life so far? Mm, I think I have to say right now with this pandemic is that it's only for now. I know it seems really big and I don't know what is around the corner, but it's just for right now, you know, it'll pass. It all things pass. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pass in the way that you want them to, or that you expect them to, but things do change. Yeah. And we only have today. We only yes. have right this minute. Yes, we do. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm so blessed to call you my friend. Thank you, Brenda. I hope that that was helpful in some way, informative, 
maybe just got your mind off of what's going on at the current moment and thinking a little bit more about yourself and how you can take care of your body and take care of you um, when things are stressful. And I will again put all of the goodies that Tina referenced in the show notes. And I wish you to be safe and well in this very crazy and uncertain time.